Welcome to the CFO Playbook, where we bring you insights and strategies on how the many obstacles facing heads of finance functions internationally are being tackled. I'm your host, Francois Bardenost. I'm the UK content lead at Soldo. And with every episode of the CFO Playbook, we will help or at least aim to help you grow your team, your company and yourself. Chat to you this week's guest, Rebecca Cassaba, for any length of time, and she'll talk about value creation. One of Canada's most powerful women, according to Forbes, and the CEO of DealMaker, a cloud-based platform for capital raises, is passionate about streamlining funding and unlocking value for entrepreneurs of every stripe. Too often, she explains that funding conversations are overshadowed by heuristics like looks or how you speak or dress. Kasaba sees the discrepancies in women getting VC backed, for instance, as an outgrowth of this traditional way of doing things. Dealmaker is looking at things differently. So crowdfunding, but with far more muscularity. Once the province of small Kickstarter brands hoping to make a new kind of backpack, for instance, it's a funding mechanism that's come of age. The platform has now funded over $1 billion in capital raises. And iconic institutions like the NFL's Green Bay Packers have used its platform to raise millions of dollars. So what's the scoop? We chat to Rebecca about this oft-unexplored funding pathway, and we also talk about leadership and why some business people simply don't get along with institutional investment. And, of course, we talk about the pandemic. So we're joined now by Rebecca Kassaba, the CEO and co-founder of one of Canada's fastest-growing companies, if not the fastest. My name is Francois Bartenhorst. Uh, thank you for listening. So, Rebecca, where are you exactly? Hey, Fran. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here chatting with you today. I am coming to you today from Toronto, Canada. Oh, lovely. Uh, what's the weather like? I, I, you haven't been too snowed in or anything like that? We just had our team from Austin come up and we call it they're coming north of the wall. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but actually, it's it's pretty good today. Yeah, pretty warm, no snow on the ground. So life is good here. Glad. So you're not like snowed in or anything like that. I don't have to have phone emergency services or anything like that. So that's good. Let's start off with DealMaker. Tell me about it. Uh, what is the company? Why do you think it's the fastest growing company in Canada? What's its secret to its success? My background, I was a capital markets attorney for over 10 years. My co-founder, Matt, was as well. He was working on Wall Street. I was on Bay Street. And there was a problem that we saw our clients having, a lot of CFOs running capital raises. And it was an extremely inefficient process, all paper-based, all you know, a bunch of legal complexities that didn't need to exist. So we created DealMaker to be the back-end platform that would allow you to conduct your capital raises quickly and efficiently online, doesn't matter the exemption. And what that is doing, you know, fast forward four and a half years, is really globalizing the capital market. So you can now raise from any jurisdiction quickly and easily and bring on a lot of in, in, investors from all different regions. There's a huge movement in the U.S. for community raising from your fans, from your stakeholders, your customers. And more and more people are realizing that the people who buy their products or champion their products are also a source of capital for them. Mm. It's really interesting. And it, it seems to be an idea that's come of age, especially now that the global economy is, a, is in the state that it's in. Would, is that what you see? 
Yeah. One of the benefits that we've seen as equity crowdfunding becomes a bigger sector of the U.S. capital markets is that where IPOs are down, You, know, I think there was one for every nine IPOs in 2022 compared to 2021, equity crowdfunding has stayed strong. Investors continue to want the opportunity to invest in pre-IPO opportunities over the internet. And so while VC funding and IPO funding was less available, Equity crowdfunding was a, a go-to method for a lot of companies to raise capital. We transacted over $1.7 billion through the DealMaker platform to date. Wow, that's a, that's a lot of money. And it, the scale seems like a lot bigger than you know, I would even think. Do you often find that people are surprised when you tell them the numbers that are, that are kind of going through your platform? They do. Like often people think of equity crowdfunding as just like early seed money or startup investing. I think it's a real opportunity, and especially for the CFOs who might be listening, it's a real opportunity for your company to get funding that you should be aware of to present to the executive team. Maybe you have a CEO who doesn't get along with institutional capital well, or maybe control is important to your founder. And equity crowdfunding can be a really meaningful way for them to set their own terms, go to market, get capitalized, and continue lots of companies. Monogram doing an IPO right now who's used equity crowdfunding to fund them their entire life cycle over five raises they've done to date. You know, we do a lot of raises under Reg A that are 20, 30 million, some of them even in the category now punching all the way up to the 75 million limit. There's something interesting you said there about, you know, some CEOs who just don't get along with institutional capital. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Why, why is it that some, some leaders are, just don't get on well with um, institutional capital? Yeah, like Fran, it's interesting in talking to some of my clients, I realized that a lot of them are very sophisticated and they knew that they could go and get their idea funded in a variety of different ways. But they said to me, like, look, I just I don't want to have someone sitting on my board who's telling me what to do, who's not an operator. It doesn't drive with my personality. And so this is a really unique opportunity for them to get capitalized and have their community and customers champion their business, but not have to give up a board seat, give up control in terms of the way the company's funded and just run the business the way they want to. Yeah, it's a big thing, isn't it? Like you you sort of, when you get investors on, especially when it's a certain level of investment, it's a bit of a, a, bit of a bargain you make, isn't it? You've got someone who's just kind of there. Uh, it's a lot more control. It is. A lot of times people shy away from equity crowdfunding because they think, oh, I can't maintain communications with that many investors. But the reality is, like, if you bring on that institutional investor, it can be a lot more work. We've designed, you know, digital portals so you can be uploading videos to your investors and doing those quarterly communications in a really streamlined way. Um, and it's not more significant the bigger the number of holders you have. You know, I myself took smaller checks from a large number of people, and that's worked really well for me because, you know, it's less to maintain, I've found. Fascinating stuff. So turning the lens on onto you, I guess. And so as a CEO, can you tell me a little bit about your history? Like, is this your first time in the in the hot seat or...? So I was a capital markets attorney for over 10 years. I started a startups practice. I advised a lot of CEOs and CFOs on going publics or just getting the business up and running, came up with some flat fee packages. 
And eventually my co-founder and I realized we'd rather be in the hot seat of uh, building our own solution and, and really saw an opportunity here to help a lot of people get access to financing. How has it been? I mean, you know, we talk about DealMaker, we talk about the enormous growth that you're going through, fastest growing company in Canada. How is that, is obviously being a CEO is challenging normally. How has it been being at the helm of uh, such a fast growing company? It's a wild ride. Uh, you know, it's a great team. The thing I'm most proud of is our team. They're such a great, intelligent bunch. They push up me, they, we push each other. It's really a phenomenal culture and I love it. It's something new and exciting and different every day when you're a CEO. And I suppose a big thing for you is being able to trust people, isn't it? Because I mean, you, you can't be everywhere. I imagine, especially now these days, you're, you're spread quite thin. How was that period moving from like being a startup where you were just involved in absolutely everything to having to delegate things out and just trust the people we're going we're gonna to execute? For me, Fran, I think that was easier than it is for a lot of people because of the tools that I learned in the law firm. Like I had practice zooming into detail and then zooming back out as a partner from a macro perspective. And I think that's really what's required of you as a growth company CEO. You have to know when to jump in on something and dive down into the weeds. And then you have to know when to pull back up. Uh, and stay at a high level. And and you're right, trust is a huge component of it. You have to have a team that you feel really strongly about their capabilities that you can trust. A big piece for me of that is knowing that if I'm not in the room, they're going to come up with the decision that I would make if I was in the room. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit more a little bit later about your team because you you actually had a really interesting experience recently with with hiring a new CFO. But uh, how was how was your pandemic? How was your global pandemic <laughs> um, at, at Dealmaker? How how was that as a as a leader uh, and as a company? Yeah, you know, sometimes I I say to uh, people like you know when I started this company, I definitely never expected to be putting out statements on global pandemics and international wars and and how they're affecting the economy. Uh, that wasn't something I anticipated in my first four years, but you got to roll with the punches and roll we did. So I think for tech companies, it's a little easier, right? Because you're already very technology and digitally based. So we literally picked up our laptops and walked out of the office one day and didn't go back for a while. But um my co-founder and I like to be in the office, so we've always maintained an office through, throughout the pandemic for people that want to come in. And now, you know, we're a team spread across North America, over 110 people in Colombia as well. So remote is our way of life. I do think it's important for us to gather in person when we can so that people can form those bonds. And we try to do that as much as possible. That's interesting, you know, like with this new sort of I say it's not really a trend anymore. I suppose it's like normal now. The norm of remote work, being a leader, I suppose it's very easy to become like a, almost like a Wizard of Oz figure, like a little bit distant and people don't really see you or, or kind of like know that you're real. You almost become like a mythical creature. How is that something that you that you worry about? Is that something that you guard against? I hope not. I hope to be ever present, but you can't always be present. 
our main strategy is the monthly town halls, right? Radical transparency in terms of everybody in the company always knowing what's going on and communicating with each other, setting our OKRs, and then holding ourselves accountable in a very real way. I do try to be present on Slack and, and involved in as many company meetings as I can. We are you now at the start of what looks like to be um, a very bumpy year. What is DealMaker's plans moving into this year? What is exciting for you, Rebecca? Yeah, Fran, what's exciting for us, we're continuing to launch new products, more data analytics, powering larger and larger raises, and lots of new brands coming into the sector as they see equity crowdfunding holding up as a very strong area of the capital markets through these recessionary times, Mm. not being driven by the same economic factors as VC or, you know, investment banking investment. Do you see equity crowdfunding going from strength to strength this year? Absolutely. We have seen VC, you know, and investment banking investment pull back for different reasons. Maybe Mm. market portfolios are down. Maybe LPs don't want to fund their calls and that's driving, you know, a pause on activity. Whereas equity crowdfunding as a growth area of the capital markets has continued to see more investors continuing to want access to pre-IPO opportunities. You know, sometimes I say, like, you can't give people the ability to invest over the internet and then expect that's going to disappear, if you think about it. Once people form these habits, once they get access to opportunities, they want to continue to have access to these things. Yeah, that's actually... Just an interesting point there, because you know, I, I think about this this massive growth in um, Robinhood and all these apps that are like all about like sort of um, e- everyday people investing. Do you actually see equity crowdfunding as a, as a part of that sort of democratizing aspect that's coming into finance now, where you know, ordinary people can can also get access to these markets and 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 you know make a windfall? It is. It is. I'd like to say, you know, if an investor invests a thousand dollars over five opportunities. And one of those investments, three X's, you know, they've made 300 X's, like you can get those kind of returns in pre-IPO investment. That's a significant windfall for that investor. And, you know, you can see some life-changing amounts, whereas the reality is you're not getting those kinds of returns in the post-IPO market anymore. You just don't. Yeah, certainly not in my savings account. That's for sure. Like it's like it's like, it's like one one zero point eight percent. So turning turning to the the CFO, you you know when we spoke previously, you mentioned that you you actually had just hired a new CFO. What was that process like for you? What were you looking for? There's, I suppose, with a view to a lot of our listeners are people who are not necessarily just CFOs, but they're people who are aspiring to reach that position. Now speaking as a the CEO, what kind of qualities were you looking for? Yeah, you know, I've hired in all the groups over the course of the company's life, and I've always been blessed with a really strong team. And in finance, you need different things from the team at different times. I think key to a well-oiled machine as a finance back office function is automation and technology, which is why the Soldo mantra resonates so strongly with me, because as we grow so rapidly, five, 600% growth year over year, the only way the finance function can manage that is through automation and 
doing things and then setting them up so that they can be done with as light a touch as possible. So, you know, our new CFO is very big on automating his functions as well. And that really resonated for us in working together. You actually said something interesting uh, when we spoke previously as well around um, almost being challenged to automate yourself out of a job. Yeah. That's a that's an interesting way to look at it. Can you elaborate on that? It's one of the phrases we use at Dealmaker a lot. We have our values, you know, our business is change and being comfortable in change and constant self-learning and self-growth. And so part of that is constantly working to automate yourself out of a job, you know, perform your function. Once you get bored of doing it, you should be able to find a way to automate it so that you can go on the next task. And if we're successful in doing that, that's how we've been able to achieve the growth rates we have and will continue to do so. It takes a confidence and a trust of the team in each other and knowing that there's always going to be a new task that we're going to strive for. That's our culture. We're constantly innovating new products and you know, building on new products on top of old products and new bringing new offerings to the market. And so when you're doing that, there's constantly new work to be had and people can have the confidence that, hey, if I automate something, that's a good thing. That doesn't mean one day I'm going to wake up and not have anything to do. So, you know, we have a payments team that does all the reconciliations of payments that flow through our platform. And our goal is as we increase volume through the platform to keep the size of that team the same. And if they're successful at automating, you know, we reduce the number of new hires that we need. That's also like a, like an interesting challenge, I, I suppose, with, with hiring. Um, I, I don't know what the, what the situation in Canada is, but like here in the UK, at least it's quite a tight hiring market. Workers have simply have more choice. There's a lot of moving around. How have you approached the, the retention issue? You know, we try to treat our team as well as possible, but ultimately, having a strong culture. We know what we are. We know we're a culture of high performers and other high performers want to be a part of that. And that's a very unique culture. And we try to make sure in the hiring process that's clear to people so that they know when they get in what they're coming into and that kind of self-learning, that kind of growth and innovation. A lot of people really crave that in a workplace and it's hard to find. I think it's very easy to kind of be stuck in second gear, isn't it? But I suppose if you're working for Canada's fastest growing company, it's probably, uh, it's automatically kind of jumps to a different kind of, like, kind of lane in terms of speed, I suppose. It does. But, you know, Fran, I've had to do a lot of hiring before we had that label. So what else can you use to motivate people to join you, but try to be honest about who you are and hope that we can work hard and have a good time while we're doing it? Just to also to return to the point around the, the CFO, I suppose, I suppose more generally, if in your role as CEO, how do you work with the different departments, specifically the CFO, uh, on a daily basis? What, what does that look like? Do you speak to your CFO on a daily basis? Yeah, I would say that I do. I think to me, finance is such a cool function because when you have strong control over the numbers, it can play a really predictive role, forward-looking role in the organization in terms of helping filter through acquisition targets and modeling future revenues as part of the capital raising process. I think traditionally, a lot of people think of finance and back office as just back looking. And to me, the power of finance is in the forward looking aspect of the numbers and what the numbers can tell you about the future. You mentioned acquisitions there. Like, is that something that you've done already or plan to do in future? 
Yeah, we did one last March and we definitely are looking to do more in the future. You know, it's uh, part of my background and a unique opportunity when we're in such a high growth space for us to continue to grow the company at the pace that the market needs us to. Especially when you mentioned like the the size of the opportunity and the numbers that's being done in terms of equity crowdfunding, it's, it really is quite, quite surprising to me. And I suppose it's one of those ways that like North America was always like a little bit ahead of what we have here. So it's interesting to see kind of what, what's kind of brewing over your side of the ocean and eventually going to come to us. It's exciting, exciting for CFOs especially. Especially, but you guys were first in the equity crowdfunding. I would say Europe's the more established market in terms of the amount of time it's been around. And um, we often look to the stats of of historically what's been done in the European equity crowdfunding markets. I would say the new model that we've brought uh, in terms of the data analytics and funnel management is what's powered these larger raises that to me are version two of online financing. So tell me about the data analytics aspect of it. How does that work? Yeah, it's really behind our mantra of radical transparency and giving our customers access to all their data, all their investors' names, all their community, which then allows them to better retarget and digitally market to the different areas of the four corners of the internet where they are seeing traffic come from. So whether it's a Web3 store or an NFT platform or Google Analytics or TikTok ads, they can see where the pockets of people around the world are that want to participate in their offering and they can hone in on those areas. And the power of a lot of, you know, we have investor ranking algorithms. So you can know people's propensity to invest. The access to all of that data is what allows you to deploy digital marketing capital more effectively, which then in turn allows you to power a bigger raise. It's so interesting because I, I suppose one of the great pitfalls of institutional funding is like is trying to find someone who is interested or has a passion for what you're doing, which is not always very easy. And by the sounds of it, with the tools that you use, you can actually like, you can find almost like a, like an audience or some, or someone who like already has that predisposition towards your, your product or your service. That's exactly it, Fran. So you're bringing people in, not just as investors, but potential beta customers as well. Or maybe you already have a list and you can target them for investment, vice versa, right? And digital marketing is is the way to do that. We hosted the Green Bay Packers offering last year. They raised $65 million from their fans to build a new stadium. You know, for them, that story gets picked up on ESPN and the fans flood in to buy shares in the B- Green Bay Packers, the only NFL team that's owned by its fans. Not everybody has the strength of the NFL brand, but there's other ways that, you know, companies like Miso Robotics, we've helped, you know, they've raised really significant amounts of equity crowdfunding over the years. So the Green Bay Packers raised, that was you? Yeah, that was us. Oh, wow. I, I actually saw that in the news. Um, yeah, I didn't realize that was Dealmaker. That was exciting. That's a fascinating one as well, because like, I mean, I suppose with professional sports teams in the US, they there's always like a the degree of controversy with new stadiums where they, they have to try and essentially get taxpayer money. But like, I suppose Green Bay essentially got around that by using the Dealmaker platform. Yeah, exactly. And sports teams are great. We've got another one gearing up as well because, you know, fans of a team want to be owners. Oh, wow. That's uh, that's, a, that's a really interesting story. So I suppose 
from a career development angle, you've talked a little bit about, about your journey, you know, from sort of like attorney to CEO. Um, can you tell me a little bit about whether you had any mentors along the way? Is there anyone that really stands out uh, on your path to here? I have a lot of mentors, Fran. I have kind of a saying that I use that you can learn something from everyone around you. And I think it goes with that on ongoing learning philosophy. I really try to look at anybody that I interact with as a learning opportunity. Maybe there's someone I'm negotiating with that I like what they did or I didn't like what they did. So I was fortunate, you know, over the decade that I was practicing that I got to work with many different CEOs and CFOs over the years and and learn from them. And now I have a board of advisors that we meet with regularly and gain wisdom from them. Yeah. Is there, is there anyone that you still kind of look to for mentorship and guidance? Someone that's uh, now that you are like a fully fledged CEO yourself, is there still someone that you turn to when you're uh, facing a, a challenge or an issue? Yeah, I would say the top two would probably be my co-founder and my husband gets to hear about Dealmaker a lot. Yeah. The trusty husband. I'm. I'm not sure if my if my wife would uh, ask me anything about serious financial issues, but <laughs> <laughs> I call it having your personal board of advisors at home right. every day. They can't. You can't run away. Yeah, you can't. Exactly. So, and I suppose we talk about your. You've had mentors over the time, but is it something that you now, now that you're more senior, and you're you're further on in your career, you're you're the head of this amazing successful company, is it something that you also try to do to be a mentor for others? Yeah, definitely. Whenever I can, we try to ingrain that in our leadership training within the company, and any kind of engagements that engagements that I can take to you know speak to other founders or mentor young women founders. I'm always passionate about that in really helping them overcome any obstacle. Because once you've been through it, you remember those challenges of things where it's really always you holding yourself back. And sometimes you just need to talk it through with someone to realize, hey, that thing I'm perceiving to be a big problem of why I don't go for it and why I don't start this business maybe isn't actually as big a problem as I'm making it in my head to be. Maybe I'm making my own barrier. I saw from my from my Googling pre-show that you you've been named one as one of Canada's most powerful women. You know, and you mentioned also there about you know trying to especially specifically help female entrepreneurs, CEOs. What is your perspective on that? Like, what 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 are some of the challenges that 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 women still face as as founders and and leaders in business? Well, I think there's a lot there. I think. Look, there's less women going out and starting companies. And then when they do, there's less funding that goes to women. So, you know, the one of the stats we're most proud of at DealMaker is that over 30% of the capital raise goes to female and minority founders versus if you look at traditional financing like VC, it's closer to 2%. So there's definitely some barriers to getting a company up and running and financed. And so as much as I can, you know, I try to chat with people on an individual basis and help them work through their barriers. I really try to see the world through a value creation lens versus, you know, archetypes like whether I'm female or male, because I, I think focusing on that doesn't help you get where you need to be. And I really believe that by leading by example, more women will see that they can do this and try to give it a try. Do you see equity crowdfunding as a, as a vehicle to kind of bust through um, any sort of 
either conscious or unconscious bias that, that, that seems to exist within um, institutional finance. That's exactly what the statistics are showing. And I think part of the reason is with equity crowdfunding, it's a really digital message, right? So if you think about that versus the traditional process of walking into a boardroom and shaking hands and heuristics based on appearance and um, even just joking around and making connections with people, that is a different process fundamentally than putting up the value prop of your business online, a quick video elevator pitch, and that's what's going to resonate with people. So it moves away from who the founder is and the founder presenting the story to, hey, here's the idea. Does the person investing over the internet really connect with this idea? Yeah, that's that's really fascinating, and it's it really uh, I suppose really valuable in that way that like it strips away, like you say, some of the very male centric elements of of doing business, uh, quote unquote doing business. Um, so, looking at just uh, advice, general advice for others, um, you know, you've you've now you're still on this journey, but you've you know you've covered a lot of ground. Are there any any mistakes? That you've made, I can imagine building a business like DealMaker. You probably made tons of mistakes, but is there any particular one that stands out? Yeah, I think mistakes are what I like to focus in on. You know, I think often I'll reference like the capability of the founder is the ability to take a punch, and it's really just to keep making those mistakes and keep going and get up and do it again. I sometimes I'll liken it. You know, we're constantly making five bets looking for one of those to succeed, and then pouring gas on the fire with that one. So it's always a very humbling experience. And I think that's okay to get things wrong and to be able to push through that and focus on what you did right, and then go towards that. And as a final point for, I suppose, our CFO listeners or aspiring CFO listeners, do you have three things you would say to any CFO, how they can help their CEO? How can they, how can they add value? Yeah, that's a great question. I have so much respect for the finance function. It can provide so much value. How do you best go about doing that? Well, I think number one, the better you know the business and the founder's mind of where the business is going, the more you can give them that support and help to build their vision. I think number two, automation is key and that's going to help you in any technology or growth company scale things very, very quickly. And then number three, the philosophy we don't just use in finance, but everywhere is to rapidly iterate. So produce things. Are they right? Are they wrong? Are they adding value? We look at that critically, and then we try to do everything better again next quarter. Rebecca Kassaba, uh, thank you very much for your time. I've really enjoyed this chat. It's been really fascinating hearing the the journey of not just you, but also Dealmaker um, where uh, where can uh, our audience find out more about you or Dealmaker or even connect with you? Yeah, so our website is dealmaker.tech or they can hit me up at rebecca at dealmaker.tech. Ah, nice. You should get a, hopefully quite a few emails from a, a CFO Playbook listeners uh, congratulating yeah. you on your, on your esteemed appearance. Thank you very much uh, and have a good one, Rebecca. Thanks so much, Fran. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Bye-bye. Bye. This show is brought to you by Soldo, the brighter way to manage business spending and expenses. With Soldo, you can control every expense, track spend in real time, 
automate financial reporting, and then use those insights to fuel your growth. Learn more at soldo.com.